Welcome everyone, and thanks for tuning in to episode 39, the It Matters to Me podcast, a show that celebrates the random through one-on-one conversations with people and the passions they pursue. 21 years ago today, most of us witnessed live the horrors of two Boeing 67 airplanes crash into the Twin Towers in New York City, and then moments later, we watched those same structures collapse into the street below. That day, that turning point in our country's history, eventually led to two overseas wars lasting years longer than we ever imagined and laid witness to a generation of young Americans fighting in those wars. With me today is one such individual, Mark Matzel de la Flor, a former U.S. Navy SEAL and founder of the organization Guardian Grange, that's helping veterans reintegrate while also protecting natural resources and strengthening communities. Born and raised in New Hampshire, Mark joined the military just out of high school. And after making it through BUDS, one of the many, many steps to becoming a Navy SEAL, he joined the SEAL teams as America was still absorbing the shock of those terrorist attacks and going on the offensive to hold those responsible accountable. We start things out by talking about his experiences in training and the subsequent combat deployments he went on afterwards. Then after that, we get into his own reintegration process once he left the military and the SEAL teams and how he benefited from plant-based medicines or as he refers to them, earth-based sacraments during that transition. We finish things out by talking about the work Guardian Grange is currently doing and the importance it has in helping veterans journey into the next phase of their lives, whatever that may be. Not a conversation for the faint of heart, but one that I was truly honored to have. So let's dive right in. Here's my talk with Mark Matzel de la Flor. Mark, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Of yeah. course. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong. You're based out of California right now, right? Yeah, up in Ojai near Ventura. Okay. Yeah. Now, I know it's incredibly cliche to start any conversation about the weather, but just because there's a massive heat wave, I think, happening in California right now, um, how are you surviving that? Uh, pretty good. It's yeah, I got up to like 111 a couple of days, 107, but I've been getting back into like running. Not that I enjoy running, but just to just to do it, you know. So I've run a couple of days. It was like over 100. I was running, getting full benefit. So after after the run, everything seems a little bit cooler, <laughs> even wow. in the heat. Well, I like to start this show uh, in the same way every time uh, by asking a, a question uh, that hopefully gives the listener a little bit more insight into the guest in a, in a personal way. And it's typically around their childhood. And so everyone's story is a little bit different, obviously. Um, but I think it does sometimes give a little bit of a, a preview of who they are later in life. So that question is, if I knew you growing up, what kinds of stories would I tell about you? Man, um, well, I was kind of a loner growing up. So I was out in the woods running around. Um, but 
for the people who did know me, um, yeah, I was like a, a little, a little Sasquatch kid or something, just climbing trees all over the place, running in the woods, getting into some mischief, sneaking in people's backyards, um, sneaking into industrial facilities and parks, and just yeah, just <laughs> having a good time out in the out in the woods as much as possible. And when I got into like the the more developed areas then i i had fun in the industrial parks which are i guess dangerous but fun uh did you ever get into trouble sneaking around like that um not really no i mean i've 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 you know like get out of here kid or people have been i got chased one time i i don't know why i was like this guy running and i was probably like i don't know 10 he was just running on these trailed and I was pretty far away, like out of throwing distance, but for, I was skipping rocks and then just threw a rock <laughs> more towards him. And he like booked it at me, booked it at me as me and my cousin. And he just ran us. I got away, but my cousin was slower. So then I had to come out cause he had him and, uh, it was just, just had a little chat cause we were kids still, but he was the big old jacked dude <laughs> running <laughs> on the trails. Yeah. And, um, I think that does actually give a little bit of insight into who you, uh, are and were, uh, later in life. Um, because you eventually, uh, joined the military, um, and, uh, not just joining the military, but you joined a, a pretty special part of the military. You were uh, a Navy SEAL. Um, could you maybe, uh, describe your path to joining the military and, you know, what motivated you to join the SEAL community? Yeah. Um, so when I was in high school, figuring out like what I'm going to do next, um, I considered the college path, but I really wasn't really into continuing that school. Like I enjoyed school, but I didn't enjoy the, the administrative aspect of it, you know? So I didn't really want to continue that. So I thought about going in the military and my uncle and, and, uh, two of my grandfathers had been in the military before. So I just knew like about army Marines, like the really didn't know much else beyond that. Those groups existed, but not really much anything about the jobs. And then I started heard about like army Rangers and started looking into like these different units that existed and what all is out there. So I just dove in and studied basically like everything I could on all these different units that existed. Um, and I ended up going for seals because that's what resonated with me, you know, guys sneaking around small teams, amphibious was, you know, diff highly difficult selection to get in. And that just felt that, that felt right to me. That was the direction I wanted to go. Like the most distant space from where society would bring me, um, that was my out basically through the military or what I thought was an out. And, uh, your grandfather was a Marine, correct? Yeah. My grandfather was a Marine. Yeah. Uh, what was his MOS? I actually don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he didn't like to talk. He, he, he didn't want me to go in the military. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, why is that? Uh, uh he just just, he just didn't want me to go in. Like he's proud of the fact that I've served and all that, but he just didn't, he discouraged, um, his kids from going into. It's interesting. Um, uh, I don't have kids. Uh, but 
you know, I, I didn't, I didn't serve in the capacity that you did, but I, I was a Marine, um, you know, rifle platoon commander. And now for me at 36, uh, when people, you know, younger that I meet that are considering going into the military, I wouldn't say I ever tell them, I try to talk them out of it by any means, but I definitely try to give them the real talk about like, listen, if you're just out there playing, you know, if you, if you, if you've just been playing way too much call of duty, then like you really need to reevaluate whether or not you want to go in. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's interesting amongst a lot of my veteran friends and especially for, uh, veteran friends that have seen combat, you know, they're, you know, some of them absolutely say, you know, if you, if they could, they would put the uniform back on tomorrow, but a majority of them, they definitely have a different perspective that I think would align a lot like your grandfather's. So tell me about your bud's experience, if you don't mind. Yeah, for sure. Um, like before going in, I just, you know, there was, there was at the time, there's like a documentary where you could kind of see stuff. And when I went through boot camp, there was a, uh, a pre buds basically where you'd go in and you'd work out with, uh, some seal motivators, dive motivators, they call them. And you'd swim and do the run tests and push ups and flutter kicks and, you know, just, just work towards, um, what you thought it was going to be. And then, uh, getting into it, it was kind of surreal, you know, cause it's, it's, uh, as far as being a kid, I was like all my hopes, that's the only thing I wanted to do. So it was like going into the, the all-stars or something or getting a, getting a shot at it. So being in training, even though like it, there was the, the suck part of it, you know, the being cold, being tired, just constantly being worked and, um, messed with, you know, um, it was also fun at the same time, you know, cause you, <laughs> I think everyone who gets through that, um, has the ability to take misery and have fun with it, you know, whether that's getting surf tortured and you're, they're pushing you to the brink of hypothermia and cracking, cracking jokes at your expense the whole time. You have to have a, a combative, um, playful mindset to, uh, to be able to, to really deal with it and keep your spirits in a good place. I hate asking questions that have probably been asked before. And I think a lot of people have probably have already asked you, like, how did you make it? Or yeah. What, you know, what do you think personally about you helped you succeed in a, in something that has anywhere from 60% to 80 to 90% attrition rate? Yeah, it's uh, the willpower to just keep pushing, like in times of no matter what's thrown at you and how much it sucks, how hard it is, how much you um, don't enjoy maybe the the feeling of the moment, you're, you're pushing towards a goal that you're not going to, nothing's going to stop you from getting there unless you die, right? Or if you like something pulls you out. So th- from that perspective it's like um you know for if 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 you got someone you love over on the other side and you got to go through hell to get to them you're gonna do it so that's kind of even though there was no someone on the other side uh in the material sense there is that that someone on the other side is you getting through it it's like you summoning the peak you um getting through that adversity and being able to um you know, look at yourself and know that that's what you said you were going to do. And that's what you did. And because you said you're going to do it, or you told yourself that you're going to do it, you 
gave it everything to, to get through there. And how about even more specifically, uh, your hell week experience? What was, what was that like? And how close do you think you personally came to actually quitting? Um, not at all. I didn't come close to quitting at all. Um, it was, I don't know how to describe it. It, it was the whole time everything's happening, like the, from the breakout, it's just nonstop stimulus. And yeah, you like start off, you know, for us, they like machine guns, get you to the grinder, spraying you with hoses, flutter kicks, P, like grinder PT, d- diving in and out of like icy boats, run into the ocean back, you know? So there's that, that physical stimulus where people start dropping like flies at that point. Um, but for like, being in it, being in that chaotic environment was also like, oh man, I'm here. Like, this is exactly what I came here to be in. And yeah, like the suck of the experience is part of it. You know, that's what we signed up to do. And then as it just keeps dragging on and on, you go through, um, I guess everyone's, everyone's a bit different, but for me, like as, as it just continued to suck in different ways, I, had that like playfully combative mindset with it where whether I was like shit talking an instructor in my head or something or to a home buddy next to me, you know, or just like pushing through grinding through to spite the abuse. If you want to call it that, that's being thrown at you. The, 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 the stress that's being thrown on you because they're trying to overload you to get you to quit. So, you know, it's like someone's, pushing you to that direction and you're just spiting it. You're spiting it, but you're also, um, doing it again to like get to the other side, whatever, whatever the, that, that activity is that happens to be sucking at the time. It really doesn't matter what it is, whether that's surf torture, sitting on cold steel metal, being wet, having the body heat sucked out of you, trying to, crawl through mud pits, getting stuck, carrying the boats, the logs, all that stuff. It's just a different angle of trying to break you down mentally because at the end of the day, like everyone can physically reach a point of, um, exhaustion, you know, like you go sprint, you can only sprint for so long before you start slowing down. And if someone's cracking the whip being like, keep sprinting harder, harder, faster, what are you doing? You suck. You should quit right now. You're letting everybody down. You know, like if you take it, personally um and you start you now start beating yourself up or you start believing that that's when people start just dropping or they they start remembering you know man it's nice to sit in a you know warm bed be dry have a heat on and some of the instructors would come out like you'd be freezing cold and tired and they'd have boxes of pizza and they'd just be eating pizza and be like yo if we get a quitter like we got some pizza here for you some hot chocolate you know we get some donuts <laughs> they they play all these games which it to me like i i got the humor of it even in the moment like it was funny to me and uh even though, even though it sucks. So yeah, it's kind of interesting. You get, it's the ability to be the calm in the storm, basically. It's necessary to have a little bit of the gallows humor in, uh, in those things, you know, like I said, for me in the Marines and, um, you know, some of the, the initial training that I kind of went through, it's, it's funny. Um, the instructors that I had 
were, were amazing. But in those moments of uh, going through some of those things, I like you maybe, uh, you know, had to make a game of it and I had to hate them. Like I had to hate a few of them. Yeah. Like I had to make a some, few of them. I had yeah. To. Some of them make it really easy to hate them too. Like their, their characters are, you know, their, the, the face that they put on is really good. And I never, I never had the chance to be like a buds instructor, but I, I mean, I, I for sure would have probably been someone that was hated, you know, because that's, that's the role that you're there to play. You're there to, 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 to do your duty properly in that capacity is to test someone fully. And you can't really test someone fully if you're like buddy, buddy. And of course there are like the instruct, like the proctors or whatever, who play a little bit of the, the more friendly role sometimes depending, but for the most part, it's like, uh, you know, who can be the most hated guy or the most feared. And then at the end of the, like later on, when you meet these guys up, you know, you realize they're, they're who they are, but you still have that image of them in your mind. So some of them, it's hard to like see past that <laughs> for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. They're good instructors. Yeah. Good see one of them with a wife and kids and you just, and it just blows your mind. Cause you're like, wait a minute. No, like yeah. you're a monster. How could anyone love you? <laughs> yeah. You know, so after, you know, after you graduate, you know, you go to the SEAL team it, and I think your first deployment, you went um, to Baghdad, correct? Uh, yeah, I went to Baghdad. Yep. Okay. And so, um, again, you know, I, you know, I have military friends. Um, that's all a pretty significant amount of combat. And even, you know, sometimes there are some things that they don't want to talk about. Um, for me, like I said, I never did a combat deployment. Um, but I would like to know uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing kind of just overall what your experience was like once you got to the SEAL teams. Because uh, I want, you know, once your your story after you got at the SEAL teams is just so inspiring. But I think it helps set up where you're at now. If you could maybe talk about some of the things that you did while you were in the teams and how now um, maybe there's like a little bit of like contradiction in your head about what you were doing. Yeah. So the first deployment to um, Baghdad, we were doing a personal security detail. So for the prime minister, basically, of Iraq. And that was a lot of driving around in armored vehicles. Um, I was always in the chase and we just zip through. Most of those details were in the green zone, um, but we were always out in the red zone. And it was as far as like combat goes there was stuff around going on but we never really had a super crazy interaction like we had one time where a random guy was like driving in reverse parallel with us as we were on the other side of the road and you're thinking like all the different things id and x y and z and i was on the 50 gun at that point and i had you know we did the old casing and the butterfly trigger as your safety I had that pulled out ready to just unload on this guy and like some of the guys in my vehicle were just like go 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 over the comms are like wait wait <laughs> and i'm just i'm i mean i'm watching the guy nothing there's nothing to give me the signal to actually pull that trigger on him other than he's being being squirrely and he ended up stopping and i don't know what he was doing exactly um but i i didn't end up doing it which i think was very wise decision because he did nothing to to deserve it. But some of the some of the homies in that vehicle, like man, you should have just unloaded. I'm like, mm, I don't think so because you know because I was very careful um, with myself. 
to just make sure if I ever pulled the trigger and when I did that I knew exactly why I was doing it. And there was no doubt. There's no second guess. So, you know, that if I would have, if I would have unloaded that trigger on that guy, maybe it would have been the right decision. And in hindsight, you would have, would have never really known at that point. Um, but also there would have been that question because I'd be like, well, why did I pull the trigger potentially? So I am f- fortunate in the, in the, in the, in the sense that like everything that I did anytime that I pulled the trigger, I meant to do it, you know, and I fully own everything that I did in that moment um, or in those moments. And so it's good to reflect on like, it's not all about, even though you're in war and you're in chaos and there's bombs going, I mean, the green zone is getting bombed. We we did have rocket attacks and stuff, you know, um, but uh it was nothing like that whole deployment. There was no return fire for us because we were just getting off the X, moving, protecting that asset, basically. Um, but yeah, it's really it's really important because a lot of people from an outside perspective think it's all like you know complete chaos, and it is for a lot of for a lot of sense. But definitely, you know, our background as seals, like we're trained to be like the surgical instrument in the ideal world, of course, stuff happens. Um, but I really, for my own moral, philosophical, spiritual health, I was very deliberate in everything that I did. Um, yeah. Uh, I can, I could see how, you know, having those, having those doubts, you know, after the fact can really, can really eat at someone. In fact, you know, in a, in a few weeks, I'm actually going to go visit uh, my company commander. We're going to go to a football game together. You know, he, and he he did he did deploy he did a few deployments uh, to Iraq and Afghanistan. But I know that there are things even now. You know that he's out. You know, he's got the wife and kids that you know he he has a hard time talking about. And I think some of that stems maybe from just the questioning of of. Uh, the why behind he was there and, uh, or not behind why he was there, but behind some of the actions that he, that he had to perform, you know, you get out you, know, you, you, you do, you do your service. Uh, what was, what was life like transitioning out of the military, especially transitioning, transitioning out of a community, honestly, that, that, you know, is unparalleled. Yeah. It was like being an alien visiting earth, you know, cause everyone's like, you just come back from, war and you're in a high performing tight knit group of people and environment, like not just your platoon and, and, uh, like the people you're directly around, but just the the climate in, in general, like anywhere you go in the SEAL teams, like there is that, that same type of spirit that's, uh, pumping through the hearts of the, the warriors who are there. And so like getting out into the civilian landscape again, as now, like, cause I went in high school. So I was a kid military, you know, I did that for seven years and then got out and now I'm just like, okay, what do I do? Cause all I wanted to do was be a seal. And then there came a point in time where I was like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore just because of, uh, you know, many aspects, but the administrative, um, red tape and (laughs) yeah, just administrative red tape. And also just like the, 
I would say the lack of leader, lack of real leadership is what I, what I would call it because there are people who would not go to bat for their bros, for their guys, for the, you know, they, so they were looking out for their career, their eval, their next rank, as opposed to like how I viewed it and how I still view it to this day. And I will tell anyone the same exact thing. Like if you aren't willing to sacrifice your career to defend your own bros who go to fucking war, then you're wrong. Um, I would say that to, to anyone. And that's, that was my opinion then as my opinion now. And that's one of the reasons that I got out is because I had too many interactions where I saw that either happening to other people where they were getting thrown under the bus or, um, you know, I, 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 I experienced things in that direction. So I made, it was the toughest decision of my, of my life. Let's say one of them, like at the time it was the toughest decision of my life to decide to leave the SEAL teams because what else was I going to do really? (laughs) You know? Um, so I did, and I I thought about it for a long time. And when I got out, I didn't want to be, I didn't get out as gracefully as I could have, as far as like, I didn't take advantage of all the programs that existed and, you know, education. If I would have been a little bit um, guided a little better or just like, there's just so much stuff going on. I wasn't even thinking about it. I just wanted to get out and I'm like, I'm going to work. So I just, on my terminal leave, I got a job selling cars at like a Honda dealership, you know? And then I went and did that. And it was, it was, it was fun from the perspective of like, Oh, this is what people do in this world where people are like, we've been at war the whole time and there's people selling cars and like heckling over deals. And, you know, just to see the, that lifestyle, which I did it for a couple months before I'm like, this isn't for me. Cause it was like working six and a half days a week, basically seven days, one week, six days, the next. So you get a day off every other week. And it was like seven to seven and you're selling new cars and you get like a hundred bucks a new car. Right. So I was like, unless, unless you start hitting like numbers, but I, I saw, I remember selling a car at like a used, used lot that was across the way. I made like $5,000 off a car. I'm like, all right, this makes way more sense. And why am I like slaving away to sell cars for like a dealership where they're making like 30 grand plus off a vehicle and I get a hundred dollars. That's ridiculous. So of course I think I forget how the pay was, but anyway, I, I asked that after a while and I'm like, well, I guess I'll use this GI bill and go to school. So that's what I ended up doing. Um, after a couple months of hanging, mingling with the, uh, the regular folk and dealership. With the normies. The normies, uh, yeah. Man, I couldn't imagine getting into a negotiation contract with you. Um, especially if, uh, oh God, yeah. I, I can't imagine um, any of, you know, the scenarios of uh, some probably spoiled 18-year-old or 16-year-old getting their first car and having to probably... Uh, have that discussion with you. Um, so, uh, yeah, you, you went to school, you, uh, at San Diego state university, right? Yeah. Yeah. At San Diego state. And I also did like, I started in the community college, um, over there in city college, San Diego, because again, it was another one of those things. Like I didn't have a a plan. I'm just like, I guess I'm going to start going to college. Okay. I can use this GI bill. I'll do X, Y, and Z. I did have a, uh, a thought, that I was going to do like a double major in economics and and psychology. Um, but 
along the way, I would have had to do like an extra year of math and I'm, you know, good at math, but I didn't want to spend that much more time in school. And so I shifted to communications, which actually ended up being way better because it's like, I was, I'm already strong understanding of economics and psychology and communication is something that I had, uh, wasn't, wasn't a strength of mine, you know, it wasn't like public speaking and, um, you know, being comfortable doing presentations and all that stuff. And that communications degree took me to do like spoken word poetry and like all kinds of uncomfortable stuff, which is where the real growth happens, uh, in the, for a person, no matter what you're doing, whether that's physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any sort of, um, discomfort, um, and, you know, kind of inner turmoil. I definitely agree. You know, I had all the, all the cliche monikers, uh, adversity, all that stuff, uh, makes you a better person. Um, so now getting into kind of, I guess, like more of the heart of the matter, um, you know, you, if, you know, you, seem to be open about your first, uh, psychedelic experience. Um, and as someone myself who admittedly had it, I didn't, I had my own, uh, issues transitioning out. Um, for me, it, you know, it came around, uh, my, my leaving the military was forced on me after I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, so part of the reason why I didn't get to go to, you know, a combat deployment was because I was sick and I spent the last year of my military career basically in a hospital bed. Um, and so that was, and that was, you know, it was hard. It was hard to, to shed that identity, uh, when I left it, especially when it was like, yeah, you're leaving, there's no coming back to this. But one thing that honest to God, uh, helped me through that experience was, um, having a psychedelic experience, like an, an unbelievably transformative psychedelic, psychedelic experience. So, uh, could you tell me about the one that you had? Yeah. Um, I mean, the very first one was a mushroom experience and, uh, you know, in the military it's definitely in the teams, like alcohol is what people had access to, right. Unless they had some kind of, like, that's the only thing that you're allowed to have. Um, and so being like a bunch of dudes who like go hard at everything, you also go hard in the, the alcohol space. And then on, on the, on the back end of like getting out, like that just continued on. Cause you hang out with your bros and that's what you do is you drink. Um, so I had never really done, um, any kind of, uh, I call them earth-based sacraments, but psychedelic is what you could call a mushroom too. Um, and so my, my buddy's another team guy. He's like, yo, uh, did you ever, you ever have mushrooms before? I'm like, no, I didn't. I'm like, let's go. I'm like, you know, no, no hesitation. Um, and I remember I ate like a handful of them and, uh, like I was like 40 minutes, you know, stuff starting to come on, starting to feel the energy of, of, of the mushrooms. And it was just like the most familiar feeling that I've ever had where it was like a memory from childhood but I, but I had never used them before. So I was like, what is this? Like, wh why am I so comfortable and familiar? And we had like a nice, beautiful courtyard with like trees and it was nighttime. So there's lights. And I was with my friend and my, um, my lady. So we were hanging out, listening to some, 
listening to some music, watching the deck. We're in an apartment complex, listening to all the conversations go on. I'm like, let's go like, let's go walk outside. I just want to be outside as mushrooms tend to draw people into nature. Um, and so we started walking around like this golf, golf course at night. And I remember just being, feeling the earth as the living being that it is like, like the, the mounds of the grass was like being on a giant, I don't know, fluffy dragon or something as a kid. And like the trees had all their personalities where I'm like, man, I bet you if I took a little bit more mushrooms, these things would be telling me stories or something, you know? So I was, I was having a, I was having a great, um, experience because it was uh, like how alcohol numbs you out. Mushrooms make you feel more stuff, more of, more of, more of your senses and tap in your em- empathy, all, all these things that is like too much to even go into because words won't be enough, but being able to, um, to feel things, especially after having like a hardened up heart, you know, from just life and teams and being like a, a dude living through the times that we've been living through, um, where you, where all you want to do is like, protect people or like be a good person. And even that gets attacked by people who don't even really understand what's going on. And so, yeah, it can make you be uh, jaded or armored up. And so the, the mushrooms really allowed me to tap back into like my childlike wonder, like, you know, it's like being a kid and climbing trees and just loving life for the experience that you're living. And at the moment, like that whole experience, just, I knew at that moment, I'm like, I need to, like, this is, there's something to this and I need to stick with it basically. And so that brought me into a whole world of other, um, substances and, uh, earth-based sacraments is what I call them, many of them. Um, but I think they all have their, they all have their place. They all have their, they're the like the the sacred way of interacting with them. Like someone can take mushrooms and party with them, do whatever, and that's not it's not the it's not the respectful way to acknowledge what those tools are, like what those why those things exist and what they allow. And like, you know, people are free to do whatever they want, but I always make sure when I discuss it or talk about it or um, having a conversation is to put that front and center that first and foremost, like someone can take a gun and they can fuck around with it and use it in a way that is not cool, not safe, not ideal, but you can also use that to feed your family, feed a village, right? Defend, protect. And it's the same way with uh, mushroom or any, any other earth-based sacrament is that there's a way, there's a right way to sit with that energy and not only receive like the healing or the insight, the, the, the communication and the connection that needs to happen, but to also be respectful for what that is to be, to show gratitude for the fact that that's even something that exists for us to have access to. Cause I remember throughout these times that I've had these experiences, I'm always like, man, how is this stuff even possible? Like, it's just so cool. It's like being in a video game and you get the, the, the cheat code or whatever, the level up. And now you have this whole other 
perspective and you can see of your own self like oh man i've been slacking off here i've been a little bit of a of a shitbag in this situation so i need to fix my own stuff so as far as like uh like the positive benefit that can come from these that's another reason why i think it's important to frame them in that light because they've been so demonized um in society, you know, tied to different movements or different political identities or whatever, which it's none of that. It's beyond all that stuff, but it has the ability to really help people where the system has and continues to fail and pretend like there's no other options out there and to, and to, and to label something as like dangerous or unknown because there's not a scientific pragmatic understanding or um, neat little package that they can sell to someone who is looking at it from an outside perspective, not from a place of trauma, not from a place of compassion, but from a place of like, oh, should we should we allow these people to have access to this or not? My thing is like, you don't have the right to make that call. That's between us and God and and nature at that point. And any person who feels that they can step in between that is mistaken <laughs> at the end of the day. Did you ever have um, the loss of ego experience? Oh, yeah. Yeah, big time. The ego deaths and many, many ego deaths in a variety of forms. And also what I like to call Armageddon's experiences, which are the heaviest experiences. <laughs> I mean, every everyone's a pretty intense experience as far as like combat and those experiences. Those experiences were way more difficult as far or way more trying, um, way more intense as far as the emotional energy that gets built up. Um, cause some of them, you got to think like, I could put it like this, like if you were to, you know, live through a broken heart, like that's a, that's a level of energy. Or if you live through like maybe a fight or maybe you were like, you were, um, angry when you shouldn't have been and you hurt someone else's feeling like all those emotions are intense in their own respects. But now if you imagine like living through getting ax murdered or something and viscerally like being it <laughs> like that is, you're going to have some emotions. You're going to have, that's, that's some intense, like to literally know what it's like or to feel what it's like to be murdered is is intense. And I know like to, to some people, it's, this is not even going to make any sense. Cause like, Oh, how could you know if you haven't been, but to people who've had certain similar experiences, they get it, you know? Um, and you know, since I've gone, gone very deep with it and that's where, uh, some of the, um, like the Armageddon's would happen where it's like in the dissolution of self, the separate, the, 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 the seeing the things that you think are you falling away and decaying right now to take everything that you think you thought was true uh historically culturally um psychologically theoretically philosophically whatever and to see that get like killed like that's in in those moments that's when i understood like man i really get why war happens at the most at like beyond like the industrial resource perspective, but like where people are literally fighting for their life for a fear that they are going to die or that their way of life is going to die. Like how that 
that energy in the form of like the most intense rage or depression or all of it, like even beyond any of that stuff where it comes and to be able to sit in that energy and sit through it and be like beaten down with it. That's it's heavy. Like a lot of people would call that a bad trip or something, but again, that's the wrong way to look at it. Cause if you're looking for to have a fun time, <laughs> it's like you'll, your shit will get rocked and you'll be humbled. And that's part of it. Like that's part of the growth is to, to be able to, like some of those experiences it took me months and months to like even fully process. Cause you have, I had like a certain amount of post-traumatic stress from the experiences themselves, but it was a gift in that I had to work through and reflect and like really go deep within my own awareness and understanding and, and, uh, and sit with that and recognizing it as the blessing that it was given to me from God at the end of the day, the most, the most high, um, and always, always staying humble because, um, it's, it's important. It's important to stay humble have gratitude and have respect and carry yourself with honor. And that's what I, that's what I, that's what I try to do. That's what I carry myself in. And, you know, we're not, I'm not perfect by any means, but I strive to see where my faults are in any moment and work, grind through to improve, uh, at every level and also to be able to to show up for other people like our peers who are going through similar stuff to actually have a connection to be like yo like i don't know what you're going through personally but i've been in similar energy states i've been in i've had similar types of you know despair depression all these different emotions that people can spear that can feel that they put words to and here is a way to go through hell. If you recognize you're walking through hell, like you, you don't want to sit there and wallow in it and feel sorry for yourself or try to fight it or try to run away with it. You want to face your shit, face your demons, face the wounds and the traumas and walk through, scrub that shit clean, keep walking, cauterize the wounds and keep moving, you know? And, and there's, there's always, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. That's the one thing I will say, like if people are in their most deepest, darkest despair and they're thinking about like, whatever, trying to check out, um, to realize there is a, there is always the light at the end of the tunnel. If your heart is pure and you're really trying to improve yourself and that, taking what seems to be an easy out is not actually so because it's like I say, uh, you never get to run away from reality. It's always going to be where you're at. (laughs) Yeah. That reminds me, you know, I'm so thankful that, um, I had the, I had the benefit of experiencing psychedelics later in life. And I'm glad that I wasn't 21, you know, in my party mode, party phase going, you know, taking them, going out to the bar kind of thing. And, I'm equally as thankful that before I ever did that, uh, before I ever took, you know, the meaning had my meaningful psychedelic experience. I had someone not guide me, but someone who was experienced with it. Tell me, uh, the simple fact that it's going to show you what you need to see. Uh, and I agree, you know, there is no bad trip. Um, you know, there's challenges, there's challenging ones, but Mm -hmm. those, those happen, um, because they're meant to happen. It's like the only uh, definitive part of life that I think exists is that if you do a psychedelic experience, it's going to show you what you need to see. Moving to the work that you're doing now, how does um, 
how does some of that experience that you had, uh, both in the military and psychedelics, uh, transfer to uh, what you what you do now with Guardian Grange? And actually, if you wouldn't mind explaining what Guardian Grange is, yeah. So Guardian Grange is my vision to reintegrate and re-inspire veterans with the purpose of healing through doing work in nature and building community. So whether that's regenerative agriculture and restoring a, a, a watershed or something, picking up trash, doing a food drive, whatever, whatever it may be to bring people together for a positive experience that is aligned with staying tapped into nature and the natural blessings and gifts that we have been given and blessed with and, and, and holding reverence for them. And that's why, you know, these earth-based sacraments, that's why I use that term. But in reality, like in reality, like all of our natural food is a sacrament. Like it's, it's a medicine, you know? Um, and if we, if we carry ourselves, with uh, what I like to call natural wisdom versus artificial intelligence, thinking that we can synthesize and make derivatives and manufacture and process things better than what nature has already done and is providing for us. Like, number one, that's very egotistical to think that I always like to say, you know, the greatest scientists, the greatest science experiments or, and, and stuff that uh, has come up, it's, they've, they've done some interesting stuff. They've done some good things. They've done some bad things too, but the best of the best, like I'll, I'll always say it, like I'll take a seed and I'll plant that in the ground and it'll become a tree or a plant or something that grows. And no one has ever created, no human mind has ever created that from scratch. The, that is a, a miracle. Like that, that is the life itself. All of it is a miracle and a blessing. And I think that there's the reason that there's so much trauma in the world in general is because there's a spiritual disconnection that tries to explain everything away in this like materialist mindset where it's like, Oh, consciousness is like a bunch of chemicals in your brain and you know, everything's an accident and this just randomly happened. It's like, shit, I guess if you want to believe that you can, but like if you plumb the depths of those thoughts, as smart as you think you are, you're going to arrive at some pretty significant roadblocks and realize that at the end of the day, the brightest minds who walk down that road, so-called, will have no answers. And it's at that point, like, it's like everyone can, in the physical sense, can exhaust themselves and can realize that, like, oh, I think I'm going to go run up this mountain and fly off the top of it. It's like, at some point you're going to realize you're not going to do that because you're going to reach your limit. And it's the same as like in the mental side, people start getting um, like the God complex. We're like, I know everything and I'm the greatest. I'm the smartest. And many of these capacities where people go and it's like, you can think that, but at the end of the day, we all know that that's not true. And so like, if someone can't be honest with themselves in that capacity, there's always going to be like another trauma. So like all these salutes, I call like the, the, the wagging tail, the, the dog chasing the wagging tail of logic in circles and circles. Like logic is a useful tool. It's good, but there's, 
reality that exists beyond logic. Like I like to dive into like whatever quantum physics or something. And you start getting into the minutia of a materialist science. And now it starts looping back into like esoteric understandings or theoretical formulations that kind of work, but they're a little bit off when you get down to the 10th degree. And it's like, okay, so then does it work or does it not? You're just making an estimated guess that seems very precise. And that kind of function in the Western mind um, is something that always manifests some little bit of trauma because there's always a thread that's nagging when someone takes like a very prideful perspective, like, well, I know exactly how this is going to be. I know how everything, why something is the way it is. It's like, maybe, but maybe you don't. Well, you definitely, like when you get down to the, rea- the, the depths of it, you, you really don't. So to, to step into that, like Icarus complex, right? It's like, oh, I got my wax wings. I'm going to fly to the sun. I'm going to show everyone how high I can fly. And then your wings melt and you fall down to earth again. You get grounded. And that's what I like about the mushrooms or the work that, you know, part of a uh, church of the people for creative crater and mother earth on the La Jolla reservation down in San Diego. And we sit, we do traditional ceremonies and Wampkish sitting around the fire and sit with that sacrament in that way. And there's a lack of true ceremony and rites of passage in industrialized society. And that's like one of the things like as a, as a male who's like, has a warrior spirit and heart, I went to the seals, right? Because I'm like looking, you're seeking, you're thirsting for a rite of passage. And that is a rite of passage. Um, but everyone's not going to do that, nor should everyone, nor will everyone ever. But there should be in the life cycle of a human being some rites of passage. Or so, like with a lot of the the natives, they do sweats, right? Where you're push pushing yourself into a stressful stimulus, but it's a positive stress, but it's still, uh, it still gives you pain. It still gives you something that you have to deal with. And when you go through something like that, you're not thirsty for it necessarily. So you're not going to seek fucking drinking your face off and getting into fights randomly or, you know, getting aggressive on the, on the highway, because you can always have a set point to reflect of like, man, I was in there suffering, whether that's through a sweat or a psychedelic experience or buds or whatever, like we were suffering together with people, with human beings of various backgrounds and cultures. And we all were suffering the same, like we're all sitting there dealing with it together. So when you get to the concept of like war, conflict, all that stuff, you know, that despite the the narrative being sold that this is the only way potentially that that's not exactly true. And at the end of the day, all of that, all of the stuff that war seeks to solve ultimately gets solved in a different way. Once there's been enough killing and slaughtering and people kind of realize like, Oh, I guess, I guess we're going to like create an Armageddon here. Right. (laughs) And when you, when you, when you sit around with like other people who have been in combat and I've had discussions with bros and they're just like, man, you know, like they're dealing with some, some heavy shit. And I, there's one time I said to a buddy, he was, he was struggling with some stuff. He was a firefighter. And, um, 
he's like, man, I'm always around death. You know, it's like, it's nonstop. Just like, I can't get away from it. And he's, he's like s- trying to save people and they're dying. Cause it's just part of the, the role. It's part of the job. I said to him, like, you know, you look at yourself as a, you're basically their angel. Like you're the one who's there with them in their time of passing. And yeah, that's all. It takes a strong person to deal with that shit. It takes a really strong person to be able to be there for someone. And in the same respect, it takes a strong person to realize like, yeah, can we fight to the death? And is it sometimes necessary? For sure. For sure. It sometimes is necessary, but also a lot of times it's unnecessary. And a lot of times if, if a bunch of warriors can sit around each other from various backgrounds and not be at war with each other and not want to like take uh, the water or the resources or the food or whatever someone else has that someone could want, which is essentially what war comes down to. It's like someone else has some stuff they want or we, they create this perceived threat where we think they're going to take it from us. And because there's a, a lack of communication or a confusion or a intentional disruption in that communication, then the perceived way out or the perceived solution is that, well, we just got to, we just got to fight to the death here. You know, we got to, or we got to really what it comes down to being is some people say, yo, we got to send some strong homies out to go fight this out on our behalf. And we're going to sit back and drink cocktails and make a bunch of money off of this shit. And so that stuff is me as a, as an honest, legitimate warrior, I like to call it out because I know the people who make those decisions are not us. And they've, they've leveraged and um, manipulated the fighting spirit of men and, and warriors to do things on the behalf of a selfish interest without really understanding what the true motivations are and the intentions. And there's, there's a, a, a major general, Smedley Butler, who had uh, some good stuff to say. So if you haven't read his stuff... He had a, it's very short. It's easy to read. He's not like a complicated uh, writer, but he had some interesting stuff to say and uh, it gets to really the, the heart of it. But anyway, I guess to, to wrap up this point here is like when you, when you run away from communication, it's a version of cowardice, right? Because you're like, well, I can't, I can't handle it right now. So, and it's uncomfortable for me. So I'm going to run away from the discomfort and I'm going to run towards the comfort. And for some people that comfort is violence for a lot of people, because it has been like, whether we've been on the receiving end of it, or we've been trained up to use it as a force to help people, not saying it's not saying that violence is inherently bad because sometimes it is necessary. Like for instance, if I need to defend my daughter, I'm going to use violence for sure if I have to, (laughs) and I'm going to feel perfectly fine about it. Um, I'd rather not, I'd rather not have that situation, but that that's, that's where um, peacefulness comes from is the capacity to go to that edge, but without the desire to do it. And then to carry ourselves in a peaceful manner. It's like, yo, I'm trying to like, what am I doing as a, as a warrior? I'm trying to, grow more food, inspire that among veterans, help, you know, help facilitate healing through natural ways, um, create awesome, you know, environments for communities and families. And that's it. You know, at the end of the day, like there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) And 
it's wild that we're at a point where somehow that stuff gets twisted in people's minds and they start like thinking like, Oh, well, well, you can build like hippie commune or something. It's like, no man, it's called being a human being and being good stewards of the land, the waters, the airs, the soil, the animals, the plants, the fungi that we're given like the life that only the human capacity has the ability to manage. Like only a human being can look at an erosion point and say, Oh, look, there's some damage. You know, it's, there's a scar in the earth. There's a wound. Let's go do some stuff to build it up and to heal it. Or let's grow food in such a way where erosion isn't happening because we have good roots in our soil and our soil is actually a living, healthy thing, just like our skin. Like if we have good, healthy skin, we're not getting paper cut by everything. But if you have fragile skin and it's not nourished, you can rub it against, you know, a wall and get a cut because the skin is not healthy and a nurse. And that's what, that's what essentially um, I'm working on to, that's the story that I'm, I'm uh, helping to tell to uh, get more people on board with, because at the end of the day, human beings have the capacity to do awesome, the most awesome shit imaginable. Well, Mark, I could talk to you about so many different things uh, for well over an hour, uh, but I really just want to say thank you so much um, for sharing your story and for being as you know being honest about your experiences and and like I said, the work that you're doing with Guardian Grange is is really inspiring, um, and I and I just you know appreciate the effort that you're putting into it to help other veterans who are probably struggling a lot right now. Um, but before we go, uh, how, how can people connect with you and your work? Yeah. So, um, guardiangrange.org is our website, which has some information on there. And then, uh, social media, really Instagram's the most active. We have like a LinkedIn and a Facebook, and I think someone's even running a TikTok. I haven't worked with that one. Mostly, mostly Instagram. Um, and then the website, and, uh, yeah, sign up for the emails and we'll, you know, periodically throw some information out, some updates we are working. We do have in the works, like, uh, I don't know if it's going to turn into a documentary or docu series kind of explaining and, and showing, taking people along the story of what's going on. So that's going to happen at some point in the future. However, that, however that plays out. But, um, yeah, the website is, uh, is, is the, the central node and that leads you to anywhere else that we are. Awesome. Well, I will be absolutely make sure, uh, everything is linked in, in the show notes, uh, for anyone out there. Um, but Mark, again, thank you so much. It's just been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Adam. Appreciate it. That's going to be it for this episode of the It Matters to Me podcast with my guest, Mark Matzel de la Flor, former U.S. Navy SEAL and founder of the nonprofit Guardian Grange. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to Guardian Grange's website and anything else that came up during our conversation. And also, if you have a minute and you enjoyed this episode and the podcast overall, please consider leaving a review and sharing it with a friend. It really helps other people discover the show. And if there's someone you think I should have on the show, please let me know by writing an email to adam at itmatterstomepodcast.com.
Thanks for listening, and until the next one, this is Adam Casey, signing off.